Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30, and, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to welcome back A.B. Bishop. Good morning, A.B. Oh, good morning. Isn't it exciting? We are, what, 10 days from summer, and we've had about three days of spring. So it's... um, The weeds are certainly letting us know about it, that's for sure. The weeds in my veggie garden, on the paths, of course, because where else would they grow but on the paths to get in the way? Of course. They're they're letting us know that it's spring. And um, yesterday I was amused by a family of rabbits, just mum, dad, and this tiniest little thing which really looked too small to be hopping around, but (laughs) they were playing around in the garden, so that was cute. And baby magpies are down and squawking and carrying on and so yeah definitely I mean we might might be at the end of spring but it's finally sprung it certainly has yeah yep. very exciting and it's been fantastic we've had so much rain oh because the we? garden's just bursting I know I just keep emptying out the uh, rain gauge and and what is really exciting for me I've had this um, eucalyptus porciflora snow gum planted I don't know probably for two years now and it hasn't died but it hasn't <laughs> Hasn't really grown very much. Might have even been three years. I don't know. It's, it's just been sitting there not doing anything much. But with all this rain, it's put on, you know, probably about a good 30 centimetres of growth. And even more excitingly, it's starting to um, give me the extra trunks coming out. Oh, so, fantastic. Yeah, which is what I was really excited. Or, you know, kind of, you can already tell they're going to be at a beautiful angle. So, yeah, it um, certainly has, um, yeah, really boosted the garden, um, which is fantastic also because the rabbits aren't eating my plants. There's so much greenery around that they're not touching the plants, so the plants are actually growing. So Good heavens. I, I know, it's incredible. I've got curry of flowers and all sorts of things. So, <laughs> yes, quite thrilling it is. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. And, of course, it's the third Sunday in the month. That means that we've got Penny Woodward in the studio. Hi, Penny. Hi, Pam. Hi, listeners. Hi, A.B. It's just lovely to be here again. We um, should just call you Third Sunday Penny. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. I answer to almost anything. <laughs> and I, I concur with what you've been saying. Um, but I think that one of the things that we need to think about with a couple of really hot days coming up is that there's a lot of very tender new growth out there. And if you've got precious plants that have just put on a bit of new growth... I'd be getting out some old sheets and a you know a clothes horse or two to stick over the top of them and put the sheets over the top and peg them down and protect them for the, this first couple of days, especially if we get up into the mid thirties tomorrow. Yeah, um, and even be, today, it's yeah. Well, today's just over thirty. Yeah, um, uh, those tips may well get burnt. Yeah. So you know those veggies. I've got some beautiful beans that are coming up and the really soft green growth mm. on the top of them. So I'm going to be out there throwing some things over the top and I've just pruned a neighbour's lemon tree and I've just quite hard and I've just realised that that's going to make all new that bark is... well not it's oh, not even bark. new growth yeah, but the point. bark yeah. is yeah. going to be yeah. very vulnerable yeah. so I'm going to have to climb their fence and, and throw a sheet over that as well so <laughs> as you do yeah. yes <laughs> So uh, you just really need to think about that because it can it, it can cause quite a lot of harm that first really hot day. Mm. Yeah, so. and, and you wouldn't necessarily really think about that. I certainly wouldn't. But uh, yeah, with this yeah. T- the new growth coming through, <coughs> just yeah, it's just not quite ready for it because usually we get a few hardening what, off days, hardening off days, yeah, and absolutely. we haven't had them. So it's the opposite of frost, really. Yeah, We're indeed, doing the reverse. Yep. Mm. Yeah, and it'll be fine in a couple of weeks' time after we've had a bit more mid twenties, high twenties. The foliage will be fine, but just that first that day tomorrow and and possibly today, 
I'd be looking at your most precious plants yeah, and thinking about giving point. them a bit of shade. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Well, we also have to welcome back to the studio Loretta Childs. Good morning, Loretta. Good morning, Pam and everybody else that's out there. And you're very busy at the moment because, of course, you're one of the uh, guest speakers next weekend at the Kangaroo Paw um, Symposium. Yes, I am. <laughs> Having uh, really just getting it together <laughs> because there's a few other things on as well, but the symposium is... Uh, is the first thing that I have to address this week. Right. So, um, yeah, I'm sort of just getting that together and it's going to be very exciting. And I hear yesterday uh, and probably today, I mean, there's some beautiful things going on there, what they're presenting. So the kangaroo paw, the conostylus and and all of the above. Mm. Great. Yeah, so um, anyone that has the opportunity to go down to... uh, Royal Botanic Gardens there down at Cranbourne to have a look. They've planted out, I gather, hundreds of kangaroo paws. I haven't had a chance to go down myself, but um, hopefully they're all out in flower and absolutely spectacular. Mm. And they've also got quite a few display beds, so, you know, very well marked so that, you know, if you do find a favourite and you are allowed to vote as well, vote on on your favourite kangaroo paw, you know, they're all well... Uh, well marked so if you see something that you love you, you'll be able to go to your nursery and, and pick it up yep. well not only that but their it's friends have got them for sale yeah, of course, at the moment too, so you yeah. can actually buy them yeah. there once you've seen them mm. um, I was there yesterday and the gardens are looking the best I have ever seen them so even really? if you're not that interested in kangaroo paws you should be just going yes. to the gardens because they are just stunning with the with the cold and the wet they some things have suffered a bit but other things have just done brilliantly and you can really see now the, the vision that these mm. wonderful designers had for the garden because things are growing mm. things are yes. doing what they knew that they would do in the future and and it's you know it, it is just fabulous but the kangaroo paws are stunning yeah. and and it is lovely at the point where after you've walked right through the gardens and then up on top of the hill they have um, uh, various marquees and tents and they have the kangaroo paws for sale and there's people from Maranoa Gardens and there's people from Kawara Nurseries and there's a whole lot of other people that you can talk to there. But just before you get to that, there's um, all the kangaroo paws that they have on display in the garden are each in in little individual boxes and at the front of that they've got a whole big box that's full of pebbles and you're allowed to take we actually I took three I have to say (laughs) because I couldn't I couldn't separate out three but you take a pebble and you put it into the front of the box of your favourite kangaroo pool okay and then you move the pebbles out of the other boxes well no you don't (laughs) (laughs) and then they do a running sheet and and at about mid I think it's about two o'clock today they will announce the winner of the of the public choice okay how many do they have favourite kangaroo pool um, probably about thirty, yeah. I think. Oh goodness! Yeah, so a yeah. good a good number. A really good. Yeah, selection. and it's a really good way of seeing what's possible. And um, yeah, it was just. And yesterday, um, we're, there were guided tours um, as well, which was which was fantastic. And we had the launch of of um, oh God. Angus Angus. Yeah, <laughs> I knew it was Angus. landscape lilac. Yes, <laughs> of Angus's um, beautiful landscape lilac. Yeah, um, yeah, kangaroo paws. So. I've actually brought in a couple of his other ones. I've got um, what have I got here? I've got um, uh, 
uh, the tall and tough range, yeah. so the, mm. yeah. the flavidus range. Yeah. So landscape red and green and landscape yellow, which also has a, a bit of red on it. And they really are tough. I mean, yeah. the red I certainly will be able to do a test. And I've got them in clay soil and yep. um, they're just growing an absolute treat. They, mm. You know, in, in a few months they've just gone off and there's flower spikes all over the place. And, yeah, mm. so. But oh, I mean, actually, I'm going yeah. to have some of the lilac in flower next weekend, which oh, is, oh, beautiful. great. Yeah. I've only got three, but they've all got, they've probably got half a dozen spikes on them. And, and I can just <clears> see their little heads coming up <clears> and going, <throat> yes. Saturday, Sunday, I mean, there's so many cultivars out there now, yeah. aren't there? There yeah. really there are. are. There's some fabulous ones. There was one that I'm not going to remember the name of, but it was a really, it was another tall growing one, but it, bright orange, Okay. Um, which I was looking for an orange one, but they didn't have any of those for sale. But I got a, a red one and I got the landscape um, yellow. Yeah. No, landscape orange. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so, but this other orange one was slightly different. Looking at it from a design perspective, which I'm only talking, mm. not technical, just about design, um, I, I, I didn't struggle, but there is just so much choice. Mm. And from balconies with your little dwarfs, you've mm. got, um, and courtyards and things like that, and then you've got your mid-range, your amber velvets, et cetera, around that 800 to a metre, mm. and then the tall. And so the, the varieties, mm. I will not be naming varieties. Mm. I'm, just, I'm really going by height. Yeah. And, yeah. and of course, the colour, that's just out of control, isn't it? Yeah. It's just wonderful. So, um it's a pretty yeah. fabulous thing when you think really an Australian garden without mm. a kangaroo pool, well, you know, yeah. we, we need to have them. Mm, absolutely. It was, and Angus was really interesting in talking about the, the flavidus ones, that, um, that they really are the ones that we should be planting on the east coast because they're the ones that are tough and will survive and don't suffer from yeah. the fungal diseases that the smaller growing ones do. So if you're looking for one that you, you know, they're not quite plant and forget, but no, they're closer bit more to forgiving. it yes. than yep. than some of the smaller ones are. Yeah. So, yep. and that was something I because I'm not an Australian native mm. person, so mm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I found yeah. that um, over good. the years, if you have the right conditions, and um, I, I think I've sort of found a bit of a spot there uh, with the few hundred that I've had, there is that airflow. Mm. And the the very even sun, I think that's really important because, you know, you get a lovely straight spike. And also, um, with all of that, you end up having not to cut back. I have found, personally, mm. not to ha- absolutely have to cut them back. In the last 10 years, the, the garden I've had with them, they, the, you know, you clean them up, mm. but you don't ha- I've never cut them right back in 10 okay. years. Mm. And that's the flavidus again. So okay. it's interesting. It's the conditions, isn't what's, it? What's your soil, though? Uh, well, it's uh, it's clay, but this bed happens to be a metre deep yeah. with a lot of rock at the bottom, and mm. that's how I set it up. So I've got the drainage. Yeah. So airflow, drainage, yeah. even good good sun, full sun. Mm. Mm. Because that was that was what um, Stephen Hopper was saying yesterday on the radio that, um, when he was talking about his. You obviously know he's the guy who's done all the research into this whole family. That they grow on really deep soil, uh, sandy soils. Mm. And that's why they often struggle on again on some of our soils because they're so heavy. So that mm. if you want to do what you've done, mm. you need to create that amazing drainage yes. that you get on sandy soils. Yeah, and Loretta's have lasted well. The first lot that you put in, I mean, really, what seven 
seven oh, years or eight, eight years. Eight yeah. Years easily, mm. And yeah. they just, you know, massed mm. and multiplied and mm. they just looked more and more incredible. Mm. So, I mean, it really goes to show that if you if they are in the perfect yep. position, yep. they will last a long time. Whereas, you know, the smaller growing Manglesii variety, you know, mm. they might be better for pot culture over mm. over this side of the yep. country, yep. Um, you know, where we don't have that really good drainage. But, yep. yeah. Yeah. Yep. Goes back to being Mrs Christmas again. You know, every year. If I don't turn up with those spikes, as you know, I'm in trouble. And I'm expecting the red ones this year. Well, I've got red ones I don't care if you just put them in. Because I've just pulled the whole lot out. Really? Yeah. They've all gone. It was very brave. Why did you do that, by the way? Um, They were getting scruffy and maybe I'm a bit lazy and a bit busy. Mm. Uh, And I decided, okay, I, I like changing the garden. I don't have a problem with that. I love, I mean, my core structure is always important. Uh, with with your trees and whatnot, but then I thought it, it's a very proud central area where they are. So I took them all up, and that was a huge job. Mm. There are 125 of them, but they had that was in what I planted, so they've multiplied. Yes, so there's you know probably a thousand. Anyway, all those um, have gone, and I decided to um, three different species of. I had to have my kangaroo paw as my base and then I put a beautiful, that little Westringia grey box, okay. a, a nice low clumping, a, a beautiful big snake through the centre and then at the front of that I have birthday candles, the Banksia. Oh, lovely. So mm. I've got that variety in respect to your um, flowering time, mm. your autumn with your Banksia and then you've got right through mm. uh, summer with uh, the kangaroo paw and I mean, I think with the Westringia, they always have a bit of a flower on them mm. yes. most of the year. Yes. I mean, apart from when they're mainly flowering in the warmer months. But so, yeah, I'm I'm really excited. They've been in four months, um, and I would have I put in the just four inch pots mm. uh, of the kangaroo paw, a little bit of a fan shape. I think it's big red, flavidus, and uh, I think I've got about five hundred spikes. Wow. So something's going right for me. But it was me. a perfect year for it, really. I mean, if you had to choose a year to pull yep. up your garden and replant it, this mm, was a good fantastic. year for it. Yep. <laughs> I do, and I have people kicking me saying, how do you grow them? I said, I don't know. I just put them in. But anyway, so I can't believe it. And they're probably about 800 tall at the moment yes. to a metre. Fantastic. Yeah. How exciting. exciting. Yes, very exciting. <laughs> wow. On that note, I should get to a few community announcements. Um, Things are obviously starting to wind down a little bit for Christmas, but there's still quite a bit on. Um, First up, uh, Garden Design Fest. This is the second weekend of it, um, and this is the weekend where they have uh, regional gardens open. Last weekend was all about the metropolitan area gardens. This weekend, it's regional gardens. Uh, today is the last day of it, so uh, your last chance to get out there and have a look at a lot of different um, gardens uh, with uh, the garden designers in the garden, so you can talk to them about their design. Uh, now, the easiest way of finding out which gardens are open, and as I mentioned, they're in lots of different regional areas, um, jump on the website, uh, just... Uh, Type in or go to www.gardendesignfest, all one word, .com.au. So that's gardendesignfest.com.au and up will come the full list of all the gardens that are open today um, if you'd like to go and have a bit of explore. Some of them aren't too far away. So you've got uh, gardens at places like Gisborne, Woodend, Malmesbury, 
Um, then you've got uh, further afield, Ballarat North, um, Scarsdale. Then you've got uh, some down south at Clifton Springs, uh, Anglesey. There's some uh, at uh, Longwood, uh, Crichton's Creek, Jindavik. So uh, plenty there if people want to uh, go and have a bit of an explore. Having said that, of course, um, Open Gardens Victoria is still in full swing at the moment. Uh, the two gardens that are open today, if people uh, would like to go and see, uh, there's a very special garden out uh, in Stockyard Hill, which is uh, basically Beaufort. Uh, it's called uh, Mawala, and uh, this is a rare opportunity to visit a historic Western District property, 2.5 hectare garden designed by uh, William Guilfoyle in 1909 and uh, it has uh, serpentine paths, sweeping lawns, um, impressive vistas across the lake which was designed by Sir John Monash. Um, at the bottom of the garden is a six-hole golf course. There's a ha-ha wall which divides the uh, garden proper from the golf course which of course allows unimpeded views from the house to the lake. There are several historically significant trees, um, so uh, a, a really uh, wonderful opportunity if you feel like having a drive towards Beaufort to have a look at a very historic property there. Um, there will be refreshments and lunches available to buy as well as local wines, produce and plants. And um, today uh, there will also be some cooking demonstrations in the garden at 11 o'clock, 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock by uh, Byron Bay chef Samantha Gowing. So uh, she'll be uh, conducting cook and de cooking demonstrations using produce from the vegetable garden there. Now all proceeds from the opening will go to Skipton and Beaufort Hospitals and the local CFA. Now um, the Could I just interrupt? Um, sure. I, when I lived and worked in the Western District nearly 30 years ago now, um, I went out to that garden a couple of times and it is just beautiful mm. and, you know, They've worked so hard to keep it going all this time because there have been several times where the, they weren't sure that they could put the money into looking after it during drought times and stuff like that. And the, the thing that you have to understand with these gardens is that they're in the middle of rural landscapes. So you not only Extremely have harsh. the beautiful gardens, but you also have that wide Vista. aspect and, mm -hmm. and vistas and yes. things. So if you're heading out that way, it would be just a brilliant garden to visit because mm. it's really open these days. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. So. so the address of the garden is 3802 Geelong Road, Stockyard Hill. That's 3802 Geelong Road, Stockyard Hill, which, as I mentioned, is um, very close to Beaufort, just out of Beaufort. Now, the other garden that's open today for Open Gardens Victoria is St Mervyn's. Uh, this is much closer to home. This is at 3 to 5 Black Street in Brighton. And uh, this is a garden designed by Andrew Stark. It's, uh, this is a very formal garden with highly stylized plantings of buxus, laurel, magnolias, gardenias, jasmine and ornamental pears. Um, there'll be spring flowers and blossoms featuring... Um, and there's some very impressive uh, selection of imported urns and pots from Provence and Spain, and they're all planted with topiary. So uh, the garden also hosts many water features, statues and ornamentation to highlight key areas of interest. 
Um, now, uh, Andrew Stark will be in the garden all weekend, uh, so you would have a chance to uh, have a chat to him as well. Now, uh, the address, as I mentioned, is 3 to 5 Black Street in Brighton, and both those gardens are open 10 through till 4.30 today. Entry is $8 for uh, for St Mervyn's and $12 for Mawalloch. Now, that brings us to two gardens that are opening next weekend. Oh. And I wonder whose garden is opening, Loretta? I don't know. <laughs> I would have thought you'd be way too busy to be opening your own garden, but there you go. Big Hill will be open to the public Saturday and Sunday next weekend. It will be, which is very exciting. And my partner in crime, Julie King, she will have her garden open as well, which is in Kangaroo Ground. Right. So they're literally, you know, six, seven minutes apart. Fantastic. And it did seem sort of obvious that we, we opened them together and I think uh, they're contrasting gardens, yet they have lovely crossover, a lot of rock work um, in both gardens for obvious reasons again. <laughs> may have <laughs> something, something you happen to be renowned for. <laughs> um, but I think Julie's garden is probably a fabulous Mimarong uh, garden that you'd probably come across first in kangaroo ground if you're coming from town and that's... Uh, Got a lot of it's orientated towards children in many respects, but a very sophisticated planting of produce, um, exotics, and natives. It has a European maize, which is fabulous uh, for children and, and alike. Uh, it has just finished this week um, a labyrinth, which is 11 metres in diameter, mm. and it is surrounded by Canadian maples. So it's a pretty Gorgeous. special spot. And in the middle of the lawn, you have. The in-ground trampoline. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Which just subtly sits there and you sort of, you look over and you see this boing, there's a child jumping up and down and uh, a very special uh, bridge put across. Uh, It's actually from the wharves, this bridge, from an old ferry from Sydney. And uh, that's been put across a large uh, pond with beautiful rocks around it. and So that's pretty special over at Julie's. Absolutely. Yes. And Julie's got a, I mean, being, um, she grew up in the nursery industry, didn't she? Yes, yeah, she did. Uh, Graham Morrison's niece. That's right. Um, for listeners who know Graham Morrison. And, and Don. Um, Don's. And, yes, yeah. and Don. And um, she um, has got an incredible use of plants and she's just used them so well. Like There's a couple of old um um, peppercorn trees, um, mature peppercorn trees, which naturally she didn't want to take out. And she's got, you know, beautiful plantings under there. Just goes to show, you know, what you can grow yes, yeah. um, under trees. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, as you say, an incredible produce garden and, and um, beautiful use of rock work. And, and you do bring the um, the children's element into it, but it's not obvious. Like no. the, the kids' stuff, <clears throat> is it's almost hidden through the whole garden, isn't Absolutely. it? And you'll come across the trampoline and the lawn and then, you know, you'll come across the, the swing set and, of mm. course, the maze isn't only for kids. They That's force right. me to get lost lost in it a couple of weekends ago they're like oh no ab has to lead us out of here so um and then in the middle of the maze there's a a, a lookout so you can see out across oh, kangaroo ground and um i understand they're going to have a few nibblies and things like they that will there, yeah so. which will be terrific yeah but i mean even just picking up design elements if you don't have such a large garden you can just yes, pick up elements you can, can't you for to, sure. to use in a smaller space space so absolutely um, and there's mature plantings and um, plantings that have just 
just been completed. So you get to see, you know, get a good understanding of how to create a good structure in the garden. So, mm. yeah, mm. and, of course, Loretta's garden, I just absolutely love it. Tell listeners a little bit more about your garden, Loretta. Um, oh, well, we know there's lots of kangaroo paws. <laughs> I know. There's lots of everything. Uh, I suppose there's four water features mm-hmm. throughout the garden. When I say water features, they're sort of not small. They're large-ish. Uh, so there's sculpture and there's water features. There's various outbuildings of mud brick and uh, corrugated iron and timber. So that's sort of... Uh, it's very interwoven into the whole garden, which is important. There's um, just primarily, I'd say, 85% native. Uh, and I, I did keep... It's an old old prop, board of works property, actually, and I kept some... Bits and pieces, I have a Trachunculus vulgare, which, believe it or not, is about to burst into two of the biggest flowers you've ever seen in your life. Wow. Um, they will be, one of them's going to be in flower next mm, weekend. Fantastic. Uh, so and that's got that fabulous trunk on it, mm. speckled, mad animal-looking trunk. Um, and there's those few things that I've kept because I think they're part of the history. So I'm not afraid to throw a few exotics in with the natives and we do have a central brachychitin repestris right in the centre around a large water area. So that's a very special Mm. spot where Mm. the kangaroo paw is actually. So the view is of the Yarra Valley. You can look out to Hillsville all the way across to the Dandenongs. So the garden itself is probably a, a lot less playful than Julie's in a way. It's a very... Peaceful, restful garden, I think. Would you say that, A.B.? Oh, absolutely. Mm. You know, kind of wide, yeah. meandering, granitic sand paths and lots of areas to relax. Not that Loretta ever does, but... Mm. Yeah, <laughs> no, she's too busy planting. <laughs> that, that, that's right. And again, there's a couple of new areas as well, which Loretta has um, finally got to, and, and they'll they'll be finished by next weekend. They so will. I they will. I've extended an area which I started last week. Mm. Um <laughs> So I've been playing there with my, my darling rock man, Rick, and uh, we've been having a bit of fun getting some rocks together and uh, Hamish has uh, aided us with a bit of timber work, so there's a bit, a bit to go on yet. Uh, I believe the soil is going in right now. Okay. That's what I believe. <laughs> I'm a bit nervous. As, as you speak? As I speak, <laughs> nice. yes. He'll be on the excavator and um, let's hope it's in the right spot. That's all I can say. I hope you left them with very strict instructions. <laughs> I did. Gypsum Good. first, please. Lots of gypsum because I've got to need a bit of drainage. So, And then when you've finished yes. exploring the gardens, you can head to the chocolatiery for, for a oh, milkshake well. along with 40,000 other people. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> okay. Well, I need to give out the addresses of both these gardens. Now, this, as I said, they are both open next weekend, both Saturday and Sunday, 10 through to 4.30. Um, now, Big Hill, which is Loretta's garden, is at 889 Skyline Road in Christmas Hills. Now, Skyline Road itself is just a great fun it's road a, to yeah, have a travel along, isn't it? It really is. Um, I think if you don't want to um, venture on the dirt, stay all the way you ca- all the way on um, the main road, the Yarra Glen, uh, Yarra Glen Eltham Road, and because there's the two ends. Don't yes. go. Don't follow your GPS. We say because it will take you Henley Road, and depends on the adventure. However, really. if you yeah. do want to go by Henley Road, the Nillenbeck Artists Open Studios are on this weekend and next weekend. Okay. And what is fantastic is there's a lot. I mean, I did a bit of a drive by 
um, picking this morning on the way in. I just literally stop the car and lean out the window and pick something. So there's a there's still a lot in flower around. So if you want to see some really sweet natives in flower, it's a beautiful yeah, drive through and the. Artist Open Studios. I mean, if you want to hop online, it's artistopenstudios.com.au. Yep. And, you know, there's there's painters, there's ceramicists, there's glass blowers, there's jewellery makers and really high-quality stuff. And these guys are all inspired by the bush that they live mm. in. So mm. a lot of it is, you yeah. know, the, those beautiful elements that we, we love about the bush. Mm. And um, perfect timing for if you want to pick yep. up a Christmas present, you know. Yeah. So there's quite a few... Um, and you have sugar loaf, of course. So yeah. you've got yes. the reservoir, which exactly, <laughs> yeah, it really is a, a good day out. So if you yeah. if you don't want to stick to the um, the beaten track, the bitumen beaten yes. track, then do go, yeah, you know, Henley sure. Road and Katani Boulevard and uh, do a bit of an explore, and and you can um, end up at both gardens either way. You can, it, yeah, mm, for sure. Yeah. Yes. So the official uh, address of the other row, uh, the other garden is 530 Eltham Yarra Glen Road in Kangaroo Ground. So that's um, a fairly easy one. Yeah, it's opposite cemetery. Oh, really easy. Yeah, it's really easy. And I'll I'll put in this that we laugh about my morong, um, it means actually resting place, and we just laugh. Oh, okay. This week we've been going, yeah, (laughs) sure, (laughs) resting place not. That's great. So that's Mine Morong and Big Hill, both open next weekend uh, for both Saturday and Sunday. Now, um, as usual, Open Gardens Victoria have been very kind to us. They've given us one free double pass to each of those gardens. So the first two people who phone in this morning can get a double pass to either Big Hill or Mine Morong. Um, the number to ring is nine four one nine zero one double five. That's nine four one nine zero one double five. Now, just a couple of other announcements I should get to, and then we'll open up our talkback lines. Firstly, um, coming up Saturday, the third of December, is um, a community day. Uh, now, this is uh, being held at Lab Fourteen, the Carlton. Connect initiative, which is at 700 Swanson Street in Carlton. Now, this is an opportunity to explore the food cultures and gardening traditions of migrants and refugees from Africa, Asia and the Middle East living in inner city Melbourne. You can uh, sample a selection of culturally diverse foods. You can talk to the cooks and gardeners from the local community. And as well as that, they will have rare and unusual food plants for summer growing Uh, On sale, now this will include things like sweet potato, kangkong, ginger and uh, turmeric. All the plants have been grown through a collaboration between participants at the Carlton Neighbourhood Learning Centre and staff and students at the Burnley campus of University of Melbourne. Now this is, we had Dr Chris Williams on the uh, on the program a couple of weeks ago, and this was the uh, the plant sale that he was talking about. Now, he will also be leading um, free consultations on growing these food crops in Melbourne's climate. So that's happening Saturday, 3rd of December, 12 noon through till 3pm. So you've only got three hours to make the most of this. Uh, and that address again is Lab 14, the Carlton Connect Initiative, 700 Swanson Street in Carlton. Now, also coming up uh, down at uh, Burnley Gardens, Friends of Burnley Gardens, 
firstly have got a workshop uh, being run. Now, this is happening also on Saturday the 3rd of December. It's Fit Fruit Trees into Vertical Spaces. It's being run by Chris England of Merrywood Plants, and this is a summer pruning workshop for fruit trees. Uh, so they'll use the demonstration fruit trees in the orchard at Burnley Gardens, and you'll learn how to prune fruit trees and also create fabulous espaliers. Uh, so uh, then you get to you have a watch while Chris does some demonstrations. Then under Chris's watchful eye, you get to have a go yourself. Now, as I mentioned, it's Saturday the 3rd of December. It's taking place at Burnley College, 500 Yarra Boulevard there in Richmond. Meeting place is PSL 6. You just follow the signs and also down in the field station. 10 a.m. through to 1 p.m., now, the cost is $60 for members of the Friends Group, $75 for non-members. Bookings are essential. And uh, the telephone number there is 9035-6815. That's 9035-6815 or email friends.burnley at gmail.com. You do need to bring your own cleaned and sharp secateurs and there's plenty of parking available in the boulevard. Now, the other thing the Friends Group is doing is having a Christmas plant sale on Wednesday the 14th of December, 12 through till 3 again. And uh, this will be a chance to buy um, buy some uh, wonderful uh, native exotic and uh, produce plants, uh, they'd make wonderful gifts for Christmas. The location is outside the Student Union building, parking in Yarra Boulevard again, and they've, there's a full plant list on the website. So that website is fobg.org.au, but please note that payments are by cash only. So that plant sale is Wednesday the 14th of December. All right, well, it's high time we invited our listeners to join us this morning. If you have a gardening question, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. We have Penny Woodward, A.B. Bishop and Loretta Charles in the studio this morning, so do give us a call, 94190155. Penny, you've brought in a few bits and pieces there. Well, it's nice when it's actually daylight when I get up. So it was, <laughs> You can see what so you're I picking. I can see what I'm picking, not having to do it the night before. But one of the things that I have really enjoyed over the last couple of weeks is my coriander. Now, lots of people complain about their coriander because all they want to do is harvest the leaves. And they, plant, they transplant them from bought seedlings and they immediately grow to, go to seed. So really you need to plant your coriander in autumn. Harvest it right through winter into spring and then it will go to seed. But the thing that you should be doing is celebrating it going to seed because not only does it have these beautiful, delicate flowers, which are are beneficial bug magnets, um, but it then grows seed. Mm. And we all use coriander seed in our cooking. So why not grow your own coriander seed? So instead of complaining about not having the leaves, we should be celebrating about having the seeds. And mine is just looking gorgeous in the garden at the moment. I, you know, I grow it as much for the flowers as for anything else. So. Yeah, mine is full. Mine is yeah. exactly like yeah. that and loving it's, it. It's meter tall yeah. and yep. weeping and yep. And the and so many hoverflies on yes. it. You know, they're just you know they're all adoring it. So I just I think sometimes we forget that plants have 
other uses. So we concentrate on the use of the leaves, which is fantastic. I don't use it very often because I'm the only one in my family who likes it. So I shove it into anything that I can that I'm just (laughs) eating. But um, yeah. What do the hoverflies do, Penny? Uh, well, they they pollinate, but they hoverflies, do. the larvae feed on all sorts of pest bugs. Okay. Yeah. So okay. it's fantastic having yeah. the hoverflies. Yeah, they're amazing. Every, every absolute they're plague everywhere. at the moment, yeah. aren't they? Well, they are. plague has um, adverse it, connotations. It does, yeah. I yeah. do not yeah. think we should describe them. <laughs> There's a lot of them. We have a, this cornucopia of, <laughs> of hoverflies. Um, yeah, so so I just I guess that was just a point about how um, plants can have other uses. So well, I'm if going you're, to do my, my seeds now. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't well, really thought of that. You, you think of collecting the seeds for the seeds to grow them on the following yeah, year, but, but not necessarily collect them to a glass them. jar and yeah, yeah, keep them fantastic. in the kitchen. Yeah. So, um, and then another one that's doing really well this year is this particular lavender, which is is a French lavender, but it's called Riverina James, and it is um, it has. The flowers look fantastic, but it is actually grown more for its scented foliage. Um, because Even the it has, flowers have got that beautiful yeah, smell. Yeah, but it's a it's a nicer scent than some French lavenders are quite mentholy, whereas I f- find that a much nicer. It is still mentholy, but not sometimes the quite strong. And it's a, it's one that obviously that was developed in the in the Riverina, so and it's an Australian quite long cultivar. Long spikes, really, yeah, aren't they? Mm, very long, long spikes. Flower spikes. And, so and a big bush. It's a big vertical, bush. Um, it, in my garden at the moment, it's flopping. But yeah. in previous years, yes. in drier conditions, it's been quite vertical. Okay. Is so that with, with a lot of growth? With a lot of, of growth. growth of, it's just mm. sort of falling out a bit. But it's about um, a metre and a bit high at yeah. the moment. So it's a big plant, but it, it's got lots of other things growing through it and around it. And it just it's looking fantastic this and year. And do you prune your lavenders back really hard just when to keep I them? Yeah, because <laughs> they can tend to get a bit leggy, they can. can't they? They can. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got one round the side that's an alardii, which gets bigger than this lavender, and it's just fallen over completely and blocked the path. So... <laughs> I'm going to have to just pull the whole thing out, I think, mm. and I really don't want to, and so I keep putting it off. And the moment you can't walk down the side of the house, <laughs> I'm not We're very. Good. I'm what is not it? like what you. I'm not good at pulling things out of my <laughs> okay. garden. I, I tend to keep leaving them and leaving them. Mm. And sometimes they do amazing things and come good when you don't expect them to. I, I'm the same. I'm, I'm so yeah. grateful when things actually grow. Yeah. And the rabbits have left them alone. Yeah. But I, oh, I really cannot prune you. So, yes. Yeah, no, yeah. I leave them there. Yeah. Mind I, you, the, 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 the one good thing about if, if that's flopping over and onto the ground, mm. peg a couple of bits down yeah, and you've got uh, some exactly. new plants. Yes, yeah, indeed. And it's a great time to do that, actually. Mm. I've done that to a couple of the rosemaries that I want to get some extra plants of. I've got them pegged down yeah. and they're putting out roots, which is nice. And I can see we've got a caller, but I'll just mention this one. I This is thrift, um, which is a, is a really gorgeous little plant. And if you if you go to the UK and particularly in Ireland, we found this growing um, near the water uh, all over the place. Okay. Um, that was a pale, obviously a paler pink form, but this is a really nice little little thrift. It forms dense clumps and masses of these these pink flowers coming up out Before of it. Before I put it my contrasts. glasses on, I thought it sort of looked, looked a little bit like scaviola, sort of a yeah. bit of a, from a yeah. you know, blind. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just a, I don't, it's doesn't really, really sweet. yeah, I, I, I would have said I like it didn't it. have much of a scent, but it is, oh. it is just because of its, most of my garden is so wild. Uh, this compactness and neatness of these plants, they sort of sit there and say, 
you know, I know what I'm doing. You know, I've got things under control. <laughs> Your garden is incredible of my garden because is out you've of got control. the whites, the mauves, the pinks, the, yeah. the light blue. Well, that just, just happened to be what I picked. I yeah. didn't pick all the bright red poppies ah, and the and yeah. the orange um, daisies and all the other stuff that's mm. coming up. So I just went round and for some reason chose those colours this morning, but. Yeah, there's a lot of other colours, and I'm not very good at controlling them and having them all in the right spots, and they all clash and stuff. So <laughs> I'm a, perfect. very this much a disobedient gardener. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's go to our first caller. We have Jill in East Malvern. Good morning, Jill. Hi, Pam. Hi, Penny. Hi, Jill. Um, yes, I've got a problem with my kangaroo apple, which has been a monster grower, but I cut it back. And it's in full sun. It gets both westerly and northerly. And it's got leaves as though the poor thing is like a nectarine. It's got curly leaves. Jill, um, kangaroo apples don't last very long. Um, You know, you might get five years out of them at the most. They're very quick growers. And, yeah, yeah, so how how old is it? Oh, it's only about two years old. But I have cut quite a bit off it and made cuttings because I'm growing them for the school garden. Right. Anyway, yep. maybe it maybe it, it, it got a dose of sun that was too quickly after I'd pruned off those bits, you know, and the tender shoots are the ones that are shriveled or curled. It's almost as though I've got the scissors and gone zoop. <laughs> along oh, the sateen mm. ribbon, you know. It's funny, isn't it? Cause, I mean, I don't plant them. They're a native for, to our area and they just pop up randomly and yeah. grow like crazy for a few years and then <clears throat> die and so they're yep. at all oh, different well. stages through the garden. So I'll just I'll just keep cut, using it as my cutting plant. Yeah. yeah. Going. Do you think it might be the, the season? No, that's what I was going to say. We've thinking... had a very wet winter and, yep. and there will be fungal problems in our gardens yep. that, you know, we haven't necessarily seen before. Mm. Although yeah. I have to say that this is the first time in three years that my garlic has no rust on it. Mm. So I'm very thrilled about that. So I think it's just been too cold. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm very I'm very thrilled about other things. The asparagus has had only been in for a year and three months and it's already had three, three spikes, but I'm just leaving it to multiply, multiply. Yeah. And there's Raspberries on the raspberries at the same age. So, <laughs> That's exciting. I've really gone into a few, a few yeah. new things for myself. I, the other, so, I'm that mad about the colour magenta, you know, crimson. And my daughter gave me a lobelia, which is um, a little tiny toad flax, but it's magenta in colour. And my one of my grandsons gave me an English daisy, which has that colour. But the pièce de résistance in that area um, is the baronia that has now flowered for a second year, survived two two summers. So I'm really celebrating that. It's... And I, to the north of that, I have a rosemary which shades its root, and then I have um, a sna- snapdragons that are that colour, and the federation um, daisy that's that sort of brilliant dark uh, burgundy into magenta. So. I've got this little patch of magenta every time I go in and out of the front front of the house, so I'm really celebrating my um, lovely little um, patch of gorgeous colour. It's lovely when things go right, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It's very exciting. I know exactly how you feel, Jill. It's great. <laughs> yeah, Baronia. And I've also, um, when my son died, one of my friends gave me um, the lime-coloured Baronia, 
and that has survived even longer. That's now two and a half years old, wow. so having flowered twice. So, mm. so Jill, yeah. are you having success with your kangaroo apple cuttings? Yes, yes, they're, they're okay. They're growing on okay? Yes, and I'm, I'm doing warrigal greens, which actually is brilliant because I've um, taken the seeds off um, the warrigal greens and put those in a pot, and they've they've taken. Lovely, well done. So Cheap I'm plants. going to have yes. At the next year, foods uh, year twelve has subsistence foods as one of its sections, and it's and the course um, suggested indigenous plants. So I've planted um, uh, oh, seventy three dollars worth with. John, our, our maintenance man, we planted those, and I've only watered them once, which is after. And but I'll be watering them again, of course, on um, Wednesday after, or on Tuesday after Monday. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they will need a good establishment watering for you know quite a few months, and then and then that's when they become you know drought tolerant, so to speak. Yeah, so, it's but interesting I, though, isn't it? The the late war. I mean, who's been watering their garden? Not very much. No, no, it's not much been, at all. I mean, the veggies are you and know a little pots. bit of a top up and yeah. pots, of course. Mm. So, but uh, the and when I I've been you know doing the garden in the last week, there's just been that. Deep, deep mulching, mm. but it's still so damp. Mm. It's mm. a fabulous mm. year. Jill, have you grown asparagus before? No. So do you know that you take out the female plants? No. Yeah, so when they start appearing with their little berries, they're, they're the ones that you want to prune out because we just want to keep the male plants. Oh. Yeah, so if you, if oh. you have any when when they start going to flower, if, if you notice them when the little red berries appear, just pull those plants out and just keep a patch of, of male asparagus. Oh. That, that's not to do with um, the production of the spears, though, is it? That's to do with weediness? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. But also I think I find that the, the male asparagus tends to be sort of thicker and juicier than the female mm. asparagus. I don't know if it's something to do with putting the energy into the berries, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a patch now, but I had a patch for a few years and, yeah, it was... Yeah, because I, I know growers who do both, yeah. I, who, yeah, okay. who don't. Yeah. But I, I also, you do also see a lot of young asparagus plants self-seeding around the garden yeah. and they can be a bit of a problem. Yeah, so absolutely. So it's, it's worth taking out the females for that reason. Yeah. Um, but, but the female ones always tended to be much, much thinner yeah. than the males. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, well, you, you wait so long to, I to know, get your so spears. It can to... be pretty hard to <laughs> whip out your females it, sometimes. Absolutely, yes. yeah. No, it's, it sounds like your garden is going great guns, Jill. Oh, it is just so intimidating. You know, there's so much <laughs> green and I'm pruning back green now and putting it in the compost because I know when it gets to 40, you know, in January, February, I won't be able to keep up. It'll all go droop. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because Penny made a very good um, point earlier, and, and I'll let her go on, about the fact that be careful of that very, very fresh new tender growth. Yeah, yeah I'm just saying over, over the next couple of days, particularly tomorrow when we get to the mid-30s, that you may well find that your new growth is being scorched because it's had no yeah. hardening off at all. We've had no sort of very few mid to high 20s days, which is what we usually get. Um, yeah. We're going straight into the 30s. So if you yeah. can deploy some shade cloth or netting or um, sheets or move your pot plants, just do something to protect them to, for well, tomorrow I've got, in particular. I've got the sand pit cover. Now, um, 
the sand pit is sort of the, the children don't really use the sand pit anymore. So um, I'm going to take the sand pit cover, which has shade cloth over it, yep. and prop that up so that the, the um, Asiatic lilies and the Christmas lilies are not being scorched to death while yep. they're in bud on Monday. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good no. move. And, and it's going to be windy as well, so deploying a few pegs to hold it in place is a good yes, idea too. Yes, I'll do that, yes. Yep. I've got plenty of stuff to hold those things. In fact, I've got too much stuff. So. <laughs> good on you, Jill. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, bye. bye. Right, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot. So if you'd like to join us this morning and ask a gardening question, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. In the studio this morning, we have Penny Woodward, A.B. Bishop and Loretta Child. So do give us a call, 94190155. Now, I brought into the studio this morning um, the latest uh, book offering from Murdoch Press. Um, As uh, many of our listeners would know, a lot of uh, books tend to get released just prior to Christmas uh, because books do make wonderful gifts at Christmas time. So this is the latest one, as I say, from Murdoch Press. It's called Disobedient Gardens, which I think is a wonderful title. Uh, Landscapes of Contrast and Contradiction. Now, it's written by Michael Cook and Bridget Arnott. Michael Cook is the landscape designer and it's uh, talking about five gardens all situated in regional New South Wales that he has designed. Now, um, he mentions that um, as a young uh, boy, he used to romanticise about saving lost gardens, ones that have been abandoned and overgrown and um and that's sort of led him to a, a predilection for wilderness combined with a degree of order therefore um that's where the disobedience comes in because in all his gardens he has imperfections with a degree of disobedience so uh that's where the title comes from i think we all do naturally i think we, we <laughs> i certainly do <laughs> i've got a very disobedient i thought garden. mine was just laziness <laughs> I thought it was disobedient gardeners. <laughs> so I'm definitely one of them. Um, now, the the other thing that uh, Michael explains in the book is that he really loves uh, gardens maturing over time. So he always he never just designs a garden and then leaves it at that. He always takes on the maintenance of the gardens he designs as well. So he uh, lives with them over many years to see them maturing. And of course, he's not afraid to. Uh, tweak them or replant or shift or change them as the gardens mature and grow. Um, So one of his mantras is good gardens last and uh, he really plants for the future for how um, that garden will look in 10 years after planting, in 20 years after planting as it matures and develops. Um, Bridget Arnott uh, took all the photos in the book and the photography is really stunningly good. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's a very beautiful book. It's a hardback. Um, I do have uh, have uh, one copy 
So if any listener would like to jump on the phone and grab hold of uh, a copy to give away as a Christmas present or to give themselves a Christmas present, it's a, a very beautiful book to um, to read. Um, you get not only a description of the the gardens and the designs and where he started from, but also of the owners of the gardens and how he works closely with them, becomes very good friends with the owners and how they work together to achieve these beautiful gardens. So it um, recommended retail price is $60. So uh, for anyone who would like to phone in, as I say, I have one copy. Uh, You can support the 3CR Gardening Show by uh, by grabbing a copy for yourself, $60, or uh, you will have to add an extra $10 if you want it posted out. Otherwise, you can collect it from um, 3CR during uh, the week, during office hours. So uh, that number, if you'd like to uh, grab the copy of Disobedient Gardeners Gardens, now you've started <laughs> me, Loretta. <laughs> Disobedient Gardens, Landscapes of Contrast and Contradiction by uh, Michael Cook and Bridget Arnott. Uh, that number is 94190155. 94190155. Penny, do you have any more plants there? Um, yes, I do. Okay. I do. This is another of my most favourite plants. It is it is Mrs. Sinkins, so it's a little dianthus. Um, and there's there's a, a more modern cultivar of it called Memories, which is which some of the money from the sale of it goes to um, to Alzheimer's research. Um, it has the most beautiful clove scent, and both my original clump of Mrs. Sinkins. And my memories, little row, um, are just looking fabulous mm. in the garden at the moment, and and I guess that feeds into the idea of of, um, plant, of flowers as being edible flowers because this is one of the flowers that I use. Um, it's particularly nice, just into it's sprinkled over the top of a dessert, but you can also actually use the petals when you're making something like custard to give it a clove flavour. So um, wow. lots of different ways that, that they can be used. But they, they're just delightful in the garden. The lovely – and they're, they're surprisingly tough plants too mm-hmm. because they survive in ways in, – in places that you don't necessarily expect them to survive. And the grey foliage is a really nice contrast to some of yes. the other foliage yeah. in the My garden. My mother's always had yeah. Mrs. And mm. and I've actually got it growing next to the thrift that oh, I was talking about beautiful. before. So Lovely. it just makes mm. a really nice Good contrast, combination contrast. of mm. um, yeah yeah. So it's a it's a pretty plant and a beautifully scented plant to grow. In Do the all of your plant are all of your plants edible or most of them? No, no. Look, there are most of my garden. Everything that I've planted is either edible or useful. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I do have plants in the garden that were planted by the previous owner. So, and quite a few of them in my usual way of not being able to take things out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do have particularly some trees that are that are not use either useful or edible. But um, I've left them for the moment. I'm actually pulling out a whole area at the moment of um, smaller shrub type plants that have been there for quite a long time that I'm putting Australian natives, more Australian natives and into. And you've got um, some mature trees that would give shade? Yeah, not, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. not, not really, really big trees. Mm. My neighbours have some really big trees. Okay. Mine's just a normal house block and I've got a couple of really big eucalypts right on the boundary which creates planting problems underneath and, mm. and I actually had a conversation with one of my neighbours recently about one of these big eucalypts because if it comes down, it'll sort of obliterate my garden. 
Um, but if it goes the other way, it'll obliterate his house. But mm. um, we deci- he decided, he said, do you want me to organise to take it down? And I said, no, not really, because it's a haven for so many different birds and insects yes. and 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 the koalas, although the koalas have trouble getting to it now because of all the fences. But, um, you know, the big trees are really important and yeah. if you can cope with them, yes. even in smaller areas, then I think we should. Yeah, um, my mother in Eltham actually... Uh, yeah. With the big winds in October, mm. uh, she had just been. People had commented her garden was looking absolutely fabulous. Mm. She's ninety-one and she's yeah. as active as ever. Um, madly cultivating, darling. You've got to cultivate in you know September. Or, so she does all of that. Everyone's commenting, and in those winds, the biggest eucalypt in mm. the garden came down. And I can't get my arms around this tree. Mm. It is that big, mm. came down, smashed through everything and oh. ended up being held up by another tree so I didn't mm. go all the way. Right. But one of the things was the diameter of the um, root system mm. was so enormous, it was as tall as me yep. standing mm. there, so mm. five foot in diameter plus, I'm a bit taller than that. Um, <laughs> it was just shock, devastating mm. for her. Oh, yes. I mean... You know, 91, she's sort of thinking, how many more years am I going mm. to be seeing my garden? And it was looking so good. But we're, we've sort of t- cut it up and saved it. Mm. But she, what I'm noticing uh, in a couple of those sunny days is the incredible canopy mm. that's just disappeared. Mm. It's mm. gone. Mm. The yes. shade of her, you yep. know, there's a Japanese maple here yep. and a this, that and the other. Yep. Wow, it's going to be a hard summer. And, of course, when that happens in the wild, it's, you know, the perfect opportunity for all the little opportunitous plants to start coming mm. up. And, and that's how they really take hold and, and um, you know, are able to reproduce and yep. everything at that time, but when it's in your own garden, that's yeah. you know cultivated, and you've got you've got all these shade loving plants, or yes. you yeah. know that um, can create real havoc. And there were there were so many trees down. Weren't oh there in yes, October? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we had a big wattle from next door fell into the garden, and fortunately, it actually fell on top of a seat, a big solid seat that was there, so it was mostly held okay. off the ground. But then I had to be very careful with the guys who were cutting the tree up that they didn't destroy everything that was sort of in the so you you know you've got to supervise that as mm. well to make sure yes. it doesn't your tender plants don't get stomped on yeah, yeah. the arborists were certainly getting a workout over the last yes. month i mean we had yeah. a, a, a massive well, a, a calisthenon come down which was not um not too huge so that was fine to deal with but a um a huge messmate gum and of course all the trees that are coming down mm. are re- those really healthy trees you know not the 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 dead ones or the half dead ones you know they're yeah. too light to come down in these winds it's all the beautiful big mm. healthy trees That's that right. you want to keep that are coming down yeah. and yeah, yeah you know there goes fifteen hundred dollars just having it all chopped up and yeah um, yeah made safe yeah. although our, our wattle that came down was one that was reaching the end of its life was it? so yeah, because was wattles it? tend yeah. to be yeah. short-lived it was, sure. a, yeah. it was a great big black wood mm. but um, it, it was a really important home for all sorts of things, partly because it was diseased. There were all sorts of insects okay. that all lived sorts of in there. going on. Yeah, yeah that, and, and a, you know, really important. And I think sometimes we, with these trees we need to think about, you know, if we see them getting towards the end of their life, maybe getting them pruned back to tall stumps so that we're leaving hollows and bark and other things for animals to continue living in rather oh. than waiting till they fall over and then... Um, removing them altogether because yes. you're removing this resource for for our um, you know bats and birds and mm. all the 
all the yeah, different and not things. only habitat it's also with that degrading wood as it's breaking down the insects are there yeah. so they're bringing the birds in mm. you know one of the sydney councils has got this great tree program because they were well aware that the the um, suburbs were becoming quite sterile around them, you know, mm. with um, you know lack of, uh, of native fauna, and they looked into it, you know, in the in the late eighties and thought, what what's going mm. on here? And then they realised they were taking out all these dead and dying eucalypts, you know, and there's a, still a lot of natural bushland in a lot of uh, suburban mm. Australia, and you know they were taking out all these trees, so therefore that gets rid of that you know first point of for the insects, and mm. then you know with the insects of course. And the lizards and the birds and then you know then the other mammals as well so they started this program whereby they just would reduce trees to a, a point where they're really safe so none of the branches are going to fall off if a branch fell in a, a bushy area and it was safe to keep there they just left it there mm. so and in you know you know 20 odd years they've mm. seen a huge increase in the native fauna coming back into the suburbs so yeah, I think it's a really um, good lesson I suppose and and a good example for for other councils and I know that a lot of Australian councils you know they do have a really strong environment focus which is fantastic and um, you know they care about putting native plants mm. out into the, into the burbs and everything so um, but even for the home gardens I think if it's safe mm. and um, you know it doesn't it, it doesn't look bad you know create a feature out of a yep, dead tree absolutely. you know grow something up it yep. and yeah it's um, instead of we're just so paranoid about having these sterile gardens, I think, and and especially in the bush, you know, and and close to the bush, you want to have sterile gardens in one sense because you're cleaning up all the ground cover in case of bushfires because you want to you want to be safe. But you know, in cleaning up all that ground cover, you're getting rid of habitat yeah. and you're getting rid of feed for for so many mm. fauna. So I think mm. you know we've got to try and have that balance there. Yes, it's very hard to achieve that balance. It is it really so is. hard. Oh, yeah. yeah, when when you do want to be safe yeah. but um, I mean you, you kind of think if, if everything sort of around the house you know 10, 15, 20 metres is is under control and you've got your, your um, get rid of your um, mulch your wood yes. mulch close yeah. to the house and things like that you know and but further away just let it be a bit wilder and a bit messier um, mm. I think the um, native fauna will thank us for it. Mm. Loretta do you get much wind? In your garden because you're up high, aren't you? We're right on top of the hill. Yes. Yes. It's called Big Hill for a reason. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And the wind is uh, ferocious. And uh, and it is that September, October, but it's Mm. been absolutely crazy this year, really crazy. I mean, having said that, um, I haven't had anything down, which is terrific. Just But when I say that, just continual dropping of small branches Mm. and Mm. very often of, of good, fresh new growth on the eucalypts particularly. Mm. Um, so, yeah, very windy, mm. very. Okay. Um, I noticed um, an article in The Age. Uh, this actually goes back to 17th of November, but um, I thought I would mention it this morning, particularly while we have Loretta in the studio, because um, uh, Melbourne City Council have uh, just commissioned a report um, they are realising that um, our climate is heating up and uh, we have all of these avenues of exotic elm trees mm. um, and their days are numbered because they are, they are reaching to their upper limit of what they can tolerate with temperatures. Temperature-wise, yeah. That's right. So they've actually commissioned a report to look at what sort of trees they should be uh, 
thinking to use as replacement trees eventually um, mm. that will deal with, with, with this warming um, climate as well. So it, it's really interesting. They've come up with, um, if, if people want to uh, go to The Age and search out this article, as I say, it was uh, published on November the 17th, so not that long ago. But uh, as part of that um, that uh, report, they've uh, listed um, trees that won't survive and uh, another list of trees that will thrive but one of the uh, one of the uh, recommendations they made is that our famous avenues for instance the one along St Kilda Road and Royal Parade um, they could uh, one of the trees they're really suggesting might might be uh, very suitable but would certainly be a totally different look is North America's red maples so can you imagine right. Long avenues of these fiery red maples mm. would be quite spectacular. Really? It'd be a totally different look from the, the green of yes. uh, of the elms. So, uh, interesting thought. And interesting. It, and um, the, our botanic gardens are having to do the same thing. They're mm. having to now um, plan for future succession of, yes. of what's in their gardens too, because um, you know a lot of what's there just isn't going to going to be able to cope. It's yes. it's great to see, um, and I think it's something that a lot of people don't realise, is how much um, pure research is actually done through our botanic gardens. And I mm. know the Melbourne Botanic Gardens mm. um, are doing quite a lot of that sort of thing, and this climate change research has been a really important part, plank mm. of, of mm. what they're doing. And um, Tim Entwistle often talks about you know, what trees we're going to have to take extra care of, what trees may well die, what trees we should be planting. So they're looking to sort of New South Wales and what's doing well in the climate up there to think about, you know, what we can replace some of our mm. some of our big trees with. And and I think it's also really important in talking about the red maples that we're not just thinking about Australian natives. So although they could some of those trees could be replaced with Australian natives and certainly in that list I think there are some natives it's important for the character of what we've got there to have trees that maintain that character, even if you can't have that the particular sort of individual trees. And I, I think actually also with if you're looking at the natives, there's still some terrific crossovers. Mm. And something like your brachychitin um, populants, like what a fabulous tree, a street tree. I'm seeing them more and more. Mm. I call them the Australian... Um, silver birch mm-hmm. because they really have that fabulous leaf. They have a slight um, deciduous period where they push off their old leaf. They're structurally absolutely outstanding, that beautiful trunk. And I've got... Quite a narrow habit. They're a narrow yep. habit, which I think is mm. fabulous. Um, there, there's quite a few. The Melia Aserac, I think, is mm. another one which actually creates some canopy. There's, you get a lot of berries and though, the, with that, which can be yes, a bit of an Yes, there's also the berry that um, the new variety that they're not mm. poisonous, so okay. that's a positive. Um, so we actually planted some recently, quite a large copse uh, at a school, and that was obviously going to be an issue, mm. and we discovered there was. You know, you sort of have to do that mm. little bit of research when you're thinking, oh, okay, and you find something new. So... I think, and another that that being very green, lovely trunk, bit of a I think mm. white cedar is it? Yeah, yeah white yes, cedar. Yeah. beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, I think 
it's a yeah, really great, great combination yeah, of yeah. both. And I mean, I, I, yeah. the sounds of the, the maple sounds absolutely beautiful. I have to say um, I was surprised when I read the maple. Um, but, I mean, as Penny was saying, it is a character. lot about the character of mm-hmm. the street, isn't it? And yes. just having that deciduous nature. We're so used to it, you know, the, mm. the, the empty streets in, in winter mm. and then that beautiful spring growth coming through. But um, it, I sometimes wonder, I need to talk to, you know, Tim and a few of few of the tree experts how are they actually choosing these plants are they just choosing plants that have a you know um that they know grow in an environment where it's hotter or you know because it's a it's a different climate as well mm. you know it's you know maybe less humid or more humid or whatever so it's it's not necessarily only temperature that needs to be taken into account mm. it's it's the climate as well so it it is interesting though just we're really starting to really think about what needs to be planted for the future what mm. what is going to last a mm. long time and yeah yep. and as you say in botanic gardens especially you know they're doing a lot of um, experimentation some great yeah science. and down at, down at Cranbourne they actually showed us yesterday one of one big bed in their research area where they've got the big raised beds where they heated the soil um, to a temperature that they expect is going to be what mm. some of the plants and shrubs, and they used it for growing these are sub sub story ones, so not trees, but shrubs and grasses, and yep. to see what survived and what didn't. And that that paper is, hasn't been released yet, but mm. apparently there were some things that did really well, and okay. other things that didn't cope with it at all. So mm. you know, it's it's. I just think this research is so important, and it's great that our that our botanic gardens are doing it mm. and it's important that we recognise that mm. you know, they're doing this sort of stuff. But, I mean, for people with home gardens, um, like your mum losing that, that, that huge tree, um, it, it's sad but it's also an opportunity to think about what she's going to replace that tree with yes. and what will survive into the future with a yes. warmer climate. She's so, probably already got something in her, she? Oh, <laughs> you know I know. She's running and, oh, my brother said to me, oh, can't believe it mum it was pretty exciting for her really as he's cutting the small stuff up and she's racing around and slow down because you can never keep up with her she's a mad woman (laughs) (laughs) but it is definitely that Pam it's it's thinking about okay what am I going Mm. to put there to replace Mm -hmm. that to create that canopy and Mm. and it's it's always difficult though I must say with the old trees because she certainly sorry mum she's not going to see it you know Um, no that's right but She's a woman who's done it in her life and she's will put something there for the, the future, future, which is exactly. Which is what we should all be doing. Maybe yeah. a brachychitin, what yes. do you think? <laughs> <laughs> and we have to always in those situations resist the temptation to, to put in something simply because it grows really it quickly. Bars, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, where, where the wattle came down, it wasn't, as I said, on our property, but I couldn't grow anything underneath it because it was it leant over and it was, mm. you know. So I've wanted to plant a fig for years, so I've now put a fig in, in the oh. middle of that garden bed. Mm. And I, I had one up the back, but I was having to sort of cut it back and restrict it because it was going to get too big, and I, and in the end it, it died. And um, so I now have got it in a spot where I can just let it grow because I yeah. adore figs. And... It's difficult too, isn't it, because <sighs> I, I'm doing a little bit of succession planting presently, uh, and that is... Uh, around some acacias yeah. uh, and I know I know they're, they're really big and I, I've created an area and I'm really mm. looking after this I uh, put in an agonis flexuosa actually the burgundy to go underneath this big old um, acacia and I'm taking off the lower branches as they're 
to give mm. it some light mm. to get it going. And then yep. I've got that, that Coria I was showing you, really big old Coria, which I'm sort of all sort of leaning out. And I know it's it's going to be a couple of years and I've put leucodendron there. And so, yeah, it's succession planting is mm. very much a part of all our mm. gardens, I think. Yep. It's no wonder you and your sisters all ended up gardeners. Or mad. <laughs> no, <laughs> gardeners. Disobedient gardeners. <laughs> Very, yeah. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We are running through until 9.15 this morning, so that does give you time to jump on the phones if you'd like to ask a gardening question. Uh, the number, 94190155. That's 94190155. We'll go to our next caller, and we have uh, Cheng in West Brunswick. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Well, thank you. Good. Thanks for your show. I'm not a gardener. I don't have a garden, but I love listening to your show. Oh, great. But I'm phoning on behalf of a friend whom, from whom I get lemons all through the year. And recently, the lemon fruits, they seem to be have brown spots in them, you know, on the white and also in the flesh as well in the middle and the skin tends to get quite hard now and the flesh is not as juicy they're very small okay um cheng were there like lots and lots of lemons on the tree yes yes it, it bears lemon the whole year round i was so surprised i said how come your tree is so prolific you know yeah i mean certainly this season we can't say that it's due to lack of water at all um but i think with um whenever there's any fruit problems you know you can look at whether the tree has had um good feed especially potash potash is really good for um, fruit quality um so it might be that it does need a good feed of of, you know a citrus fertilizer that which would have potash in it what do you think um, look, I think the other thing is that in a season like this, you there are so many fruit on the tree yeah. and that can really impact the tree. You really need to thin the fruit out when it's small. So um, that'll that'll be why your fruit are small is because mm. you've had too so many, many fruit. Yeah. Yeah. No, mm. it's not the whole fruit. Like the flesh inside is very small and narrow. You know how usually lemons are very juicy, right? Mm. Yeah. You can squeeze and get lots yeah. of juice now this one, so it's because quite of dry. The, yeah, inside. yeah, it's quite mm. dry, and then the skin is so tough. It's like um, it wasn't like this before ever. Yeah, well, I mean, lemon trees are really hardy, but they certainly um, appreciate a good feed. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So it it might just be that the tree hasn't been fed for a while. Um, you know, apply a really good um, citrus fertilizer and get some you know composts and and stuff around. You know, protect the base of the tree. They're shallow rooted. They they dry out really easily. Uh-huh. But I mean, as we know, we've had so much rain, so that shouldn't be an yeah. issue at, at this going point. going to take a couple of fruits into a nursery to cut. Let them have a look and ask. See That's always yeah. a good idea. Yeah. It's a bit hard for us when we can't actually see the whole tree and see. I what's mean, even thinking but... about how the leaves are looking. Yeah, you the know, leaves don't look like they have disease on mm-hmm. them. Yeah, mm-hmm. which, which which really makes me think that it's a, a, a some sort of potassium deficiency. Lacking in nutrients. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, I'll let him know. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank thanks, you. Ching. All right. Thanks very much. Yeah. Okay. Bye. 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 All right, next up we have uh, Wendy in Vermont South. Good morning, Wendy. Oh, good morning. Um, I just wanted to say a big thank you. I forget which one of you lovely people gave me advice on um, a suitable garden hose for elderly folk. Oh, yes, yes, I remember that. 
Oh, fantastic. I went off and bought, I think they call it a spiral hose. Yes, yes. Um, it's not cheap. I think I paid $50 for it. But Granny is thrilled with it. She's able to, uh, to it's 15 metres long, I think, walk, cover most of her, one the whole front area of her garden. And um, it doesn't kink. And we, we just weren't in a position where there was anywhere there to put like a bracket on a wall. There is no wall where her her tap is mm. and it's fantastic she's oh. absolutely thrilled with it so if any elderly folk are listening or anybody's in a similar situation i, I would totally agree it's this is a wonderful kind of hose to have excellent because it's yes. quite lightweight too isn't it oh, so it's yes. easy for Very her to maneuver yeah mum is thrilled with it so i just wanted to let you know oh that's yeah. good and can i just say you don't have to be elderly to appreciate yeah. this <laughs> that's, that's what my both my hoses are and i wouldn't be without them i just yeah well yeah, that's true i was there helping out at mum's yesterday and i used this hose myself i thought hell this is damn good i'll have to get one. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Thank you again now. No, thanks for the feedback. That's okay. Bye for now. Bye. How big's your garden, Penny? Uh, look, it's a normal house block. Oh, so, is it? Yeah, yeah. okay. So the yeah. spiral hoses would be okay because, I, I mean, I have one, but I haven't actually installed it yet. But mm. because we've got such a large garden, I've just mm. got, you know, metres and metres mm. of hose that you lug everywhere. And, you know, I'm yet to come across a um, one of those windy hose holders I, that I, actually yeah. don't fall apart after the mm. second use, you know, especially mm. when you've got... 20, 30 metres of hose have, that you've got. I have um, metal ones and they're working good, really well. Yeah, but good ones yeah. of those can be pretty expensive too. So, But I, I think I think the thing is that you, if you put money into getting good hoses, equipment. Oh. good equipment. I've got good hoses, that, but just... Because yeah. I've had my hoses for 10 years now and they are how long, just How long fantastic. can you get them? For, um, look, I bought them a while ago, so yeah. at that point I'm, I think they're about sort of 50... Okay. Meters. Um, I bought the longest I could get, mm. and I have two of them. And I'm actually just about to go and get another one for out the front because I'm starting to pl- do more planting out the front mm. that'll need some attention until they're yeah. settled in. So, yeah. well, what I started doing actually, or I, I installed a few years ago, I've because the garden is so big and mm. so I don't have to lug the hose, you know, mm. so far. I've um, put hoses at different sections of the garden and then I just connect them up. Yeah. So it's it's just so much easier, mm. you know, for mm. a couple of days' work of, you know, yep. just, yeah, making sure that they all connect properly and everything. Mm. It's, it's yeah, well well worth it, I have to say. Mm. So. Mm. Excellent. Well, so you said you said that even your, um, you, you know, all your plantings, the rabbits aren't oh, it's, eating them. It, it is really exciting, I have to say. I don't think you've ever been in that position no, before. No, I haven't, have I? I'm always just in here <laughs> moaning about the rabbits, as much as I do love them and think they're cute. But, yeah, it's um, it has been good because um, I usually have – um, bird cages over absolutely everything <laughs> to protect them and um, architectural it is I don't care yeah. I look through them now all I see is the plant inside <laughs> but I've actually been removing them uh, tentatively and um, yeah they're, they're going I've got kangaroo paws and um, some um, some pig face yep yeah which Loretta assured me a few years ago that the rabbits don't like but that's absolutely not true but I've taken the um, taken Taken the um, bird cage off, and, and they're thriving now. So um, mm. yeah, there, there's a there's a lot going on, which is terrific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, mm. it's um, yeah. I, I think, as I said, you know, there's there's so much around for them to eat at the moment that they're um, yeah. yeah, they're just not interested. Yeah. So. and I think there's also because um, again, the Cranbourne Gardens have had the same problems with rabbits with eating their kangaroo paws that yeah. they planted yeah. out for these fabulous displays yeah. that they've got on there at the moment. 
Um, but they've also found that there's been a new release of Kelsey, Kelsey virus, Khaleesi, Khaleesi virus, yes. um, and they think that that may be impacting on the rabbits in the area. Okay. So they were, it was a fairly selective release, um, mm. and nearby there was was one of the places where oh, they. Yeah. So it looks as if it, they may. Uh, you know, it may have moved into the gardens and mm. be affecting the rabbits there. I heard they'd worked on one that would, would that would actually be more effective over in mm. the eastern states because yeah. the original one was more for the western. Was more for the western, was, yeah. yes, and yeah. and that higher temperature. Yeah. But so you know, maybe maybe you know, it it they've been very cautious. I think with this release, yes. um, and maybe we're going to see fewer rabbits around for a while, which would be fantastic. And do we know how quickly it actually kills the rabbits? No, one, yeah. I don't. I that, that's my them. one yeah. sort of um, bugbear about poisons. It's, they mm. take so long. The rabbits suffer for so long. I mean, there are some poisons out there um, which general gardeners can't get their hands on. You do have yeah. to be licensed to use, which kills a rabbit in two days. And to me, that seems a lot fairer. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, anything to, to reduce... Yep. The, the pest mm. numbers, I suppose, but um, yeah. well, they just do so much damage, and they feed on things that the native animals should be feeding on, and um, yeah, I think it's pretty important to keep them under control yeah. if possible. Foxes and, aren't doing their job. Well, yeah, I mean, They're the problem trying. is how that many the rabbits fox, can a fox eat? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then the foxes will increase in numbers because there's more rabbits, and then when the rabbits disappear, the foxes will start, you know, decimating the again the native animals. So, you know, it's a, it's a difficult. Path that people who control these programs have. To oh, walk. absolutely! Mm. I mean, we've got a, a deer control program going on at the moment, and you know, every now and again, we get an email sent out. Oh, have you seen any more deer in the bend? And mm. you know, and I just I can't bring myself to report them just because I hate to think mm. of them being killed. Um, but I see them quite frequently. You know, in fact, I saw. Um, you know, about half a dozen the other morning mm. when I was leaving really early. And, um, yeah, but, of course, you know, there's that that um, dichotomy with, you know, there's such beautiful animals and they're so graceful, but then, of course, they do do so much damage to yeah. the environment. And mm. it's, Well, yeah. I mean, they're even um, around Wilson's Prom now. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, if we don't control them, yeah. um, we're not going to have Yeah, my orchard's gone. Places. I did have an orchard a few yeah. years ago. It's gone. Yeah. They just appeared out of nowhere mm. and uh, my sister had them in Warburton for many years and I said oh no we're fine just got the rabbits uh, and I had a little not much of an orchard mm. but it's gone Completely. I've just given up. This seems to have been a, a population explosion with them or mm. I'm hearing certainly mm. of a lot more yeah. sightings. Yep. Yeah and yep. they're spreading into new areas. Yeah I mean yep. if you think even from Warburton now Warburton's you're getting out there mm. And they're up to Kangaroo Ground. Mm. Mm. That's mm. pretty close to the city. Mm. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Well, and I think we've hit of... them, you know, it's hitting them as well, On which is bad for yeah. everyone. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm. But a lot of our areas, suburban areas, are close to bushland. So, mm. And they are, they're yeah. getting braver and, you know, maybe there's, you know, with all the new estates and everything, there's, you know, areas of bushland being taken over so less areas for them to feed so they are moving into the suburbs i mean i see them um in kangaroo ground on the roads you mm. know as i'm coming down into warrandyte they're just you know in people's gardens there and being so close to to the national park or to the warrandyte state park i should say and um yeah it's i mean it's a problem but mm. um, but we don't want them in the state parks so no it, well we don't yeah. want them anywhere really mm. do we but it's just mm. yeah it's a tricky situation mm. i think the other thing that's attractive the, not not the 
deer, well, maybe the deer as well, but certainly the kangaroos are venturing much more into the suburbs because people have been, well, this year we've had all the rain, but in other years people have been watering their gardens in suburban Melbourne and, of course, they've got lush edible grass and yep, the kangaroos yep. are coming, you know, yep. further and further into into the suburbs to after that grass. Yeah, mm. yeah. So I'm seeing them in my backyard, you know, yep. fairly mm. frequently yep. Yep. Um, compared to what I used to see. Yeah. Yeah, no, they, they are all over the place, that's for sure. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That uh, number, if you would like to jump on the phone and give us a call, we are, as I mentioned, running through until 915 Nine four one nine zero one double five. That's nine four one nine zero one double five. Loretta, you've got a plant there you brought in. I have got a few funny things here. Great. I have. I'm going to bring this out first because it's my little star. This is um, Myoporum floribundum. I've always grown them, and I love the habit. The habit is a weeping, beautiful weeping, thin little needle-like, but very, very soft weeper. I always plant it near water and it reaches way over the water. It would reach over two and a half metres mm, on gosh. A, a completely horizontal plane. It's out of control, beautiful. Beautiful. Um, and what's so beautiful with the Myoporum is that the flower buds just go right along mm. the top of that, what would you call it, branch or... Mm. Yeah, I suppose it's a branch, isn't Branchlet. it? Branchlet. And uh, <laughs> white flowers, and I think absolutely adorable. I, I sort of think it's got a very Japanese feel mm. when you see it out over the water. Yep. Mm. I love that combination. And the, the flowers are, are, are profuse, but they're quite a lot smaller than yes. some of the other myporums. Yes. Am I right mm. in saying absolutely. that? Absolutely, yeah. 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 So and they have a real delicacy to them. Now, I'm sort of not like Penny. They're, the flower's quite a nice little perfume, but... The foliage can smell a bit funny. And right. it, a bit, it attracts yeah. flies, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, but yeah. You know, I'm not off. saying any. I still yeah. love it. So <laughs> but you really don't notice it. I mean, unless you go up and stick your nose in it, you yeah. don't notice mm. yeah. the odour of it. And, yeah. I mean, for the, it's for the sake it. of having such an attractive yeah. tree, mm. yeah. I mean, it, it really can take the place of, you know, any of the, um, even like the weeping willow in a yes. way, although, mm. of course, not, not yeah. as large as that, but yep. just to have that beautiful effect near water. Mm-hmm. So you've got, it's probably, you've got a, a metre and a half, two, two metres Perhaps, and then um, two or three, two metres in diameter, but it's not very long-lived, I must say. So I've replaced mine in the last 15 years. This is my second one. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think it's – they are fast growers, Mm -hmm. so you do Mm -hmm. get that, yeah. So just for listeners' sake, um, which myoporum is it again? Myoporum floribundum. Floribundum. Mm. Yes, so you know we think of the myoporum as that ground cover, yes, yeah. um, and all the different parvifolium, parvifolium, yeah. yeah. So this is, the, but there's if you go to Maranoa, they have quite a selection. Oh, okay. And they have little the same, but I think little pinky mauvey flowers. Maranoa and, or Karanga? No, Maranoa. Oh, at the, it's a, yeah. to actually to see what they're. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, they're yes, in the, in the garden. Yeah, 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 fabulous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. Great. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, we might go to our next caller and then we'll come back to those other plants. Uh, we have uh, Anna, who's in Brunswick. Good morning, Anna. Good morning. Yeah, I was just um, listening uh, about the rabbit and the introduction of another biological sort of um, intervention. Um, I always thought that, um, uh, and I do understand that they are a feral pest, 
But I've always thought that uh, there, it might be better to have an ongoing program, maybe employment program, um, where people would go out and uh, like a continuous program that's ongoing uh, and shoot rabbits um, and then sort of their furs and their meat can also be used because one, it's hard to get pet meat, rabbit pet meat. Two, they are um, edible animals. Um, yeah, as an alternative to um, the biological sort of warfare that we employ on rabbits all the time. Um, yeah, and as I said, it'd have to be ongoing. So it's a, a regular thing that people would go out and shoot rabbits and it might be a good employment program um, for Indigenous young men, um, you know, caring for the land or whatever. Mm. Yeah, mm. anyway. That's, Excellent suggestion, I'd... yep. But, of course, the other problem is that uh, you can't use um, shotguns in built-up areas, so it could well, it only be out be in the country. It would have to be a shotgun for yeah. a rabbit. Yeah, but any sort of gun. Any sort of gun, you can't. Um... But people used to trap. Yes, and, and people still rabbits. use ferrets. Yep. Um, I, oh, yeah, if you want to use ferrets. But, yeah, I remember neighbours that came from the country used to go out and trap rabbits. Mm, yeah. There yeah. are other means. Yeah, um, yeah but um, I guess if you, yeah, if you start also eradicating from the outer, uh, from the, uh, you know, the country, yeah. uh, there might be fewer rabbits coming internal anyway mm. and as i said yeah there are other methods like trapping so, yeah, I yeah. think I think your point, Anna, just of um, having a sort of a consolidated effort. You know, of course, that would be um, the best that we, you know you'd get the best outcome from that. But I mean, realistically, it's so hard because in bush areas, I mean, where I am in bush areas, you you just can't get to the burrows. You know, because I mean, people, you know, sometimes they trap rabbits, they use ferrets, or they use gassing. But you have to be able to close up all the holes, and it, it, I mean, it's it's mm. just it's so so. So tricky and it's not like open paddock areas where you can just go through and rip rip the burrows and get rid of rid of them but I mean I love your idea of having this you know consolidated mm. effort around Australia to not only get rid of rabbits but you know there's so Boxes. many other pigs you know camels even you know there's just there's a squillion yeah. feral animals Million, out millions there millions of dollars are spent yeah controlling feral animals that's right yeah but um i certainly yeah, yeah and i look, love I the idea what anna's suggesting is actually happening you know there are people who mm. who make a living out of out of harvesting rabbits in in yep. the wild and they yep. get permits to do it and um it's just perhaps not as well known um now as it as it used to be and and certainly you know the rabbit fur is still used to make hats and you know i am all for um resources you know yes. being used and not just thrown out and, mm. and um, we are constantly finding new ways of doing that but i also think that the the biological the khaleesi virus is an important part of the whole program yeah so that so that we're, we're trying it on on all different fronts yeah, I mean, Anna, there's a there's a website. Uh, is there called... any sort of danger that the virus can get out to other animals or no. whatever? Because it, it's in an internal hemorrhage, isn't it? I'm not sure the uh, the way that it works. I, I know mm, I think that it's the an mix, I know myxomatosis, I think, was that. I'm not sure that Khaleesi virus is. But, um, no, the, they've done massive testing before they released it and it doesn't get into other populations. It will affect pet rabbits. 
um, if it's carried to pet rabbits, mm. but um, no, not not um, no other species. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess um, the solution has to be an ongoing one so that the populations are always kept down and uh, we don't just allow them to grow and then all of yeah. a sudden introduce something yeah, else that's right. uh, to eradicate them. Um, yeah, and if millions of dollars are spent on employment schemes, I don't think that's a bad thing either. Mm. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Okay, thanks anyway, for your thank call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Thanks, Anna. Yeah, it is such a tricky situation, yeah. isn't it? Yes. I mean, yes. And, I mean, there's there's landowners who really care about getting on top of the rabbit population and there's landowners who, you know, they've got other things to worry about and, you know, it, it's not such a an important thing for them. So there's mm. always, you know, and even, you know, in our environment – it's just it's impossible to get yep. rid of them it really is mm. you know i mean unless yep. we were out there with a gun every night and even then you know i mean we've trapped rabbits in the mm. past and um you know i've kind of said to Ray, well there's no point you're, you're trapping one and and killing one what on earth is that going to do to and our they, rabbit population and they breed like rabbits it, they breed strangely yeah. enough they do breed like <laughs> rabbits yeah so i mean it is it's a really tricky yeah. situation and in the in the cranbourne botanic gardens they tried using terriers and that was really effective and they got rid of a lot of rabbits but they were back again almost as quickly. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's and it just costs so much to, yeah. to keep doing this. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, we've had uh, Rhonda ring in on the outside line to say that her locusts have just disappeared. <laughs> Nothing on the ground at all. The trees were in her backyard and the same happened last year to her Granny Smith apples. Well, either she's got neighbours that sneak in at night and grab them all <laughs> or rats, possums, anything really. Yeah, is yeah, and and the thing with rats is they know when to harvest. They oh, yeah. you, they can really smell. It. And the the day before that you're going to go out and pick everything mm. is the day that they'll move in and, mm. and eat everything. So, mm. but I mean the fact that there's there's nothing around is interesting, isn't it? Yes, yeah, especially mm. with the locots with their with their really big pips. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Possums and fruit bats, um, depending on where you True. are. Yeah, um, okay. You, True, because there's a lot of them around at the moment. Um, mm. But it is unusual to have nothing on the ground. I have to agree with that. Mm. I, look, some of the things that you can try if you if you want to protect your crops, um, although it's it's always once the uh, local animals have identified your crop, your tree, um, it can be really hard to protect. But um, I had a, a, a nectarine tree that was completely covered in nectarines um, last year. And I netted the whole tree mm. early, and it was a, it was a quite a fine net. Yep, it's so, almost like a mosquito netting, yeah, isn't it? It's quite yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, even yes, yeah, really fine quite net, fine. and um, nothing got to those. But um, I may just be lucky. So, but it is worth trying if you know that yeah. that's happened in a previous year. It's worth getting a, a, a net or something over the whole top of it. You've got to you've got to weight the bottom or put pegs into it. Um, and, it, you know, you can get a really fantastic crop from it. But um, mm-hmm. you can also get animals that will just rip through. Yeah. And you can nature. also get, I mean, just even those exclusion bags, yes. which, you know, yeah. are, are, are sort of like the mosquito netting again, like yeah. a, a more rigid or, mosquito or netting. Or fly screen. Yeah, fly screen. They're, yeah. they're open at either end with ties and you can just pull them over a branch. So, you know, you might not 
get yeah, the if whole tree. Yeah, if your mm, tree is yeah. too large to, to net entirely, you can just, you know, set aside certain branches and use these exclusion netting bags. And you put them over when the fruit is just forming, tie them off at either end. I've done that on our peach tree and mm. had really good success. Mm. Um, but then I've also done it and the rats have nibbled through, through. The, yeah. through the wire And sometimes well, if so. the cockatoos identify that there's something underneath, they will just rip through it. Yeah. But I've used it on my trees, on my apple trees, and it's worked really well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's worth trying. It's worth trying putting some exclusion mm. barriers mm. around it. Um, if it's a relatively big tree and it's freestanding and you think it might be possums, you can also um, prune it so that it's not close to the ground and you can put a collar around the base of the tree that that both rats and um, and possums can't climb over. Mm. So it's got to be far enough. I mean, there's obviously you it's don't got want to be away it next from to fences. a fence <laughs> yes. or another tree that yes. they can just leap across Exactly. From. But if you've got a tree like that, then that's worth doing as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. On our pergola, we've got um, two grapes which have been, have been I'm determined to sit under a grapevine that's growing <laughs> over a pergola. And um, this this year we've actually got some growth and usually the possums just come straight in. And it's interesting because, you know, we've got four really large posts um, and I've put that really rigid clear plastic mm. on them and yep. I thought you know that would stop were, them but yep. they were still coming somehow and then we realized that there was one branch from a, a nearby polyanthemus that was it wasn't touching but it was you know probably a, a couple of feet away yep. and um, Ray pruned it down and I'm convinced that this this yep. is why this year we've access. got them that, that was their, was access, their yes. access because mm. they can't really jump easily from any other area and I I was very sure they wouldn't be able. There was no claw prints or anything in the plastic, so I knew mm. they hadn't scrambled up there. And we've actually got growth this year, so hey. I, I, I'm going to mm. one day maybe take a you'll photo be sitting of me. Under, yeah. <laughs> under under my grapevine. Yeah. Ray will be peeling your grapes. It before will. You know. right. Sounds right. perfect. <laughs> So, so more and more, I'm using barriers. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. exclusion so the, yeah, methods. Yeah. yeah, and there is a really good one that I came across. I've actually just been writing an article for Organic Gardener magazine, which is not out for a couple of months because we work so far ahead. But um, that I discovered with for people actually, they're using them in the tropics. Um, using what you do is you cut the bottom out of a flower pot, but um, and you put it around hanging fruit, so that the um the bats and the birds and that can't hang on to the flower oh, pot okay. because yep, it's so yep. slippery um to be able to get ah, into the fruit so inside yep. so that's, that's one that I'm going to try on some of my tamarillos this mm. year because um they're hanging fruit yep, yep. and um I uh, yeah so I I want a photo of that tree. Or the, I want a photo of that shrub yeah. with all your little yeah. pots all pots over it. <laughs> well, but you see, you don't have to do it to all of them. As long as you get enough so that That's you right. get a crop, yeah. you can actually let the native animals eat the other ones. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there are lots of innovative ways out there that you can that you can mm. use to to mm. put barriers up. Mm. So. Yeah, that's fabulous. my latest one. Okay, fabulous. <laughs> Loretta, we've just got time to talk about a couple oh, more plants. That all right. Well, quickly, I, I will have a look at this because this is the lovely Melaleuca um, hypericifolia. It's a prostrate form of Melaleuca. I'll just hold up this beautiful salmon-coloured mm. yeah, brush. Gorgeous. gorgeous. And it's absolutely delightful. Just coming, buds are just coming out there. Um, beautiful weeping once again. I've obviously got a passion for weeping plants. And uh, lovely new light green foliage. So 
I just think a, a star, it weeps over a wall all the way around mm. the car park area and it's probably about a metre high at, at the most and it just spreads to a mm. couple of metres. Mm. It, it's quite a brittle uh, branching sort of plant but it's, I think it's just divine. I love it. So that's mm. another and, and it's withstood quite a bit of mistreatment, hasn't it? Oh, it's tough. Yeah, I mean, the old bobcat runs yep. over the bottom of it and cars go into <laughs> and it. And it just keeps going and it keeps does. flowering beautifully. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And all those plants this year with the callistamen-like flowers, so oh. callistamens and melaleucas oh, and things, incredible. are just stunning. They are yeah, excellent they, this year. They have done so well. And again, I know I keep going back to the Cranbourne Gardens, but it's very mm. fresh in my mind. Yes. But mm. Down there, they are looking superb. Mm. So, you know, they're I've yep. in whole rows and hedges of them and they're all mm. in flower and they and just look fabulous. Great for attracting birds into yes. the garden. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? They're always hanging off them, aren't yes. they? And, but but insects as well. And, there yeah. is, all the native insects are coming in and feeding on them too, which then attracts the insectivorous birds. Mm. Mm. So it's not just the bigger, noisier um, nectar-feeding nectar birds. Nectar yeah. Yeah. birds. Yeah. It's which also, we need and love as well. Yeah, but, I know, yeah. <laughs> but they can scare away some of the That's smaller right, birds. Yeah. So yes. it's, it's also providing food for the insects. Yeah. For the insect yeah. And tough, I mean, yeah. the melaleucas, as you know, I mean, they're tough, hardy plants. Yeah. Oh, yes. They, they've just been in the garden about 12 years and yep. they've joined, there's, I put 20 in, I think, and uh, they've all joined up along that mm. edging mm. and it's fabulous, mm. great yeah. plant. Great. Mm. Now, you've also got another weeping plant there. I do, very quickly. Oh, I've got the lovely Alocasurina verticillata, I will call it, but I have a feeling the name has changed. Um, so it, it's there's a, um, Alocasurina toyolosa littoralis all up our way, but I love I call it my shower curtain. <laughs> I have quite a few and yeah. in, in big rows and... They are divine, very, very long, thin, mm. weeping leaves. And, I mean, they're really like, what would we call them? They're like um, a little bit like licorice, but really, really oh, thin licorice. Long <laughs> strands of spaghetti. Well, long like, strands of spaghetti. Oh, like alocasia. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so, I mean, you have them, um, again, planted around one of the water features mm, and mm. when that west sun mm. is setting, they just Gorgeous. shine yeah. through oh, there yeah. and, you yeah. know, um, yeah, quite spectacular. But it's mm. so delicate because it's Isn't so it? open. You can mm. see all mm. the light through it. You it's can. just yeah. beautiful. And I think also um, it's the beautiful movement you get. And I oh, love yes. movement, the grasses yep. and those sort of things. And the, so and the swishy lovely. noise in the wind. And, the, the yeah, wind. Mm. and you don't get the flower is just insignificant. Yeah. It's like mm. a little tassel, yeah. But, yeah. but still very sweet. So yeah. it does make a bit of a mess. So you've got to well, consider that. Can I, can I just say that one of the things I've been doing with my alocasurina is actually collecting the needles from mm-hmm. underneath and using them to put on top of my paths. Yep. Okay. And it makes a fantastic surface yeah. for the paths yep. to walk on. Okay. Um, so I, I, that might be something you yeah, want to think about. Absolutely. They do love falling in the water and laying <laughs> yeah. on oh, the rocks. <laughs> I, I do love it. And I, when the tassels drop, I actually love them on the granitic mm, sand. Mm, mm. Yes. a beautiful mm. pattern. Yes. yes. So, yeah. Beautiful. Mm. Absolutely. Well, we are um, running out of time again. Uh, it always seems to go quickly on a Sunday morning. But I do want to remind listeners of um, the two gardens that are open next weekend. Um, Loretta's very own garden, Big Hill, uh, will be open from 10 through to 4.30 on both Saturday and Sunday of next weekend. Uh, The address is 889 
Skyline Road in Christmas Hills. Entry price is eight dollars. Um, what's what are the money going towards, Loretta, with your garden? Um, well, I have in the past donated to multiple myeloma. Okay, so there will be some money going that way. Fantastic, excellent, uh, and of course, just nearby is the other garden, which is Mine Morong. Uh, that's at 530 Eltham Yarra Glen Road in Kangaroo Ground. Again, open 10 a.m. through to 4.30 on both Saturday and Sunday of next weekend. Again, the entry price is $8. Um, another really wonderful garden, and because they're so close to each other, contrasting gardens from the sound of it. Um, I think anyone who has young children would probably love to see uh, Mine Morong. Mm, absolutely. Um, yes, but uh, both gardens absolutely uh, well worth going to see. So uh, if you've got nothing planned for next weekend, do set aside um, some time over next weekend to go along to see both of those gardens because uh, they should be absolutely fabulous. And as uh, Loretta has been saying, things actually coming out in flower mm. just in perfect time. Amazing. So um, mm. great. I have to say a big thank you to all the team again this morning and also to Jan who's been handling all the calls for us. Um, we will, of course, be back at 7.30 next week. Until then, bye for now. <laughs> 